Good morning, everybody. Whether you're here in the house or in a watch group room or at home, it is great to have you. How about those testimonies? Aren't they great? They're so phenomenal to listen to. I trust that in the craziness of our life right now, just hearing people share their life stories is a real blessing for you. You know, scripture shows when the church is ever under any kind of pressure, you see God advance things and grow things in special ways. And we have been seeing that in our church as well. And uh, 79, 79 people have joined the church since uh, March. Uh, we've had 43 baptisms and eight salvations, amen? God has done a great thing and he continues to do a great thing. And we could not be more excited about what God's doing despite uh, definitely uncertain times and uh, times of struggle for so many, even illness and sickness and we're definitely praying for all those pioneers out there as well as here. We're encouraged by this. If you've been with us this fall, this is now our ninth sermon in, the story, in, in our series, Pioneers. This began in a tent and uh, has moved to this point now as we're staring down December already. And uh, we've been challenging ourselves in this time period to be living how Jesus has called us to live, whatever you ask, whenever you ask, and however, I'm in. I wanna follow you. I'm not gonna make the conditions, Lord. I'm not even gonna pray my circumstances necessarily change. I'm gonna pray you change me and use me during this time period. And I trust that through this Pioneer series, you've been finding yourself, even in the Pioneers, we're focusing on our apostles, okay? Our apostles, there's many of them. There's 12 of them specifically, and they're all different personalities. Jesus surrounded himself with many different types of individuals from influential leaders to the passionate guys to the detailed guys to the scholars to the rebels the obscure ones even the hype ones activists and even growing them up within his replacements Matthias Jesus surrounds himself with all types and that encourages me because so many times we live in what we've been calling echo chambers we surround ourselves with only people who talk and think and and have opinions like ours and we kind of sometimes need to get outside of that box a little bit Jesus had all these guys around him and we're seeing ourselves in them and I trust it's been encouragement. But, but throughout the series, I've started with a pioneer and I've got another one, okay? I'm gonna pull his picture up here, our pioneer this morning, willing to do whatever, surrender my comforts whenever, surrender my plans and however, I'll surrender my ways. Now, I don't know if you're gonna know who it is by just looking at the picture, but um, obviously he wasn't born in 1982, Okay, um, so we got to go back and, and, and go into the 1700s when he was born in 1759 into a merchant family, which means this. He's in England and he's a kid in a house of a dad who is loaded. Okay, I mean, this is the definition of a spoiled rich kid, this young man. Okay, and he grew up in this. But unfortunately, he lost his father. His mother became ill. And at that time period, they would often send people to their relatives. Well, at the age of nine, he was actually sent to relatives, um, his uncle and his aunt, who were also loaded, okay? In fact, so loaded, so, so wealthy, that they were one of the most influential families in a denomination his parents didn't necessarily approve of. His uncle and aunt were Methodists. Well, well in that in that Methodism, they were so prominent, they would host guests at their home. And one of the guests in their home became a very influential character in this young man's life. His name was John Newton. Are you familiar with that name? 
John Newton was a slave trader who actually came to know Jesus Christ as his savior. His testimony he put in song. The song's called Amazing Grace. Many of you sing it. Amazing Grace is his testimony of how God saved him and John Newton went out of his way to be an advocate against slave trade in England. Well, he had quite the influence on this little nine-year-old and spoke to him often to the point where his parents were upset. It's kind of like the family who sent their kid off to church camp. They didn't know they were going to get a preacher back. We just wanted you to have a good time. Well, this young man came back home and he began to advance, advance, advance. Well, unfortunately, you kind of are your surroundings. And even though he believes that he got saved at the age of nine, kind of walked away from the Lord. But being in a prominent family, you could actually buy yourself into politics. This young man became part of the parliament while he was still at university in Cambridge. He became a politician in the age, and the young age in his 20s and became so prominent, especially him and his friends who were from prominent families. They were a part of every who's who that you could imagine. They were invited to all the, they called it in England, the gentleman's club, and they could get into anything all the time. He had connections everywhere. People knew who he was, and he had money, power, and influence at a very young age. Well, he kind of hit a life crisis. When you're young, you pursue, you pursue, you pursue, and then you go, what am I pursuing for? And he came to a point in life where it was time to figure out why am I here? We've been saying about all our pioneers, there's two dates that matter in your life, right? The date you were born and the date you find out why you were born. And if you don't find out why you were born, you really struggle through life. I wanna encourage everybody out here, if you're a child of God, you are born for a specific reason. And God has a call for your life. It's how long it's gonna take you to submit to it maybe, or how long it's gonna take you to ask God to clarify it for you. But whatever you do, always know the will of God is an attitude that rejoices always, prays without ceasing, and gives thanks all the time. That you can be affirmed of, even if you're not sure of your perfect call yet. This young man walked away from the faith. He's in parliament. Everybody knows who he is. Hot shot, got it all, and had a crisis. Who am I? Went on a journey and met up with John Newton rededicated his life to the Lord and began to become an advocate. Yeah, you guessed it, against England's slave trade. Now, now in America, you know, much of slavery was obvious and in the culture and it could be seen. Well, in Britain, they did a little differently. They would actually go to Africa, get slaves and take them to other countries. And they would use that slave trade to bolster the economy of England so the people never actually saw the slave trade going on. They were just happy their pockets were filling up. Well, John Newton, being a changed man, wanted to see change in that. Well, this young man, do you know who it is yet? William Wilberforce says to John Newton, now that I've rededicated my life to Christ, you're gonna probably enjoy this. He said, I don't know if I should be a politician anymore. John Newton stopped him and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We all can't go into vocational ministry. John Newton had become a preacher. He goes, maybe your call is to make change right where you are, to be an influence right where you are in parliament. Use that platform. Use your influence. Use your connections. Use the fact that people listen to you. 
for God's purposes. And what happened is he came home from that, you know, getting to know who he was and what he wanted to be. And he penned 20 famous words. And these famous words drove William Wilberforce, who has had now movies made about him called Amazing Grace. Maybe some of you saw them. But William Wilberforce wrote this. God Almighty has set before me two great objects. We don't write like this anymore, I know. The suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. Now, some of you are going, what, this guy really wanted people to be polite? Hold on. What he's saying is morality. William Wilberforce, being a man of influence, wealth, position, popularity, and fame, leveraged his platform to become a philanthropist. You understand that much of the social reform you see that happens because of people of wealth making big decisions that impact a lot of reforms happening stem all the way back to William Wilberforce. He was the one who began to inspire people in England who had tremendous influence to use it. Don't run from it, use it. Don't leave your profession, use your profession. And it was John Newton's words of, no, 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 no. Do, do not leave parliament. We need you in parliament. We need people there to have influence. And he did just that. In fact, he became so aggressive, so relentless, so inspiring that movement began to occur. In fact, at one point, it is said he spoke at the parliament floor against slave trade going on in Africa for three hours. Spoke to these politicians, and they said he was so captivating that he would make his case. And listen to how he would finish some of his messages. He'd be so informed and so well thought and so intelligent. He says, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. You can't ignore this because you can't see it. You might choose to look the other way, but you can't say you didn't know. He fought a 20-year fight against African slave trade. In 1807, the Slave Trade Act was passed, and in 1833, it was abolished in Britain because of the work and the energy and the passion of William Wilberforce. So many people have gone on to advocate for people who might be less fortunate because of his work and his passion and his leadership. You know, I refer to these kinds of people as kind of Jesus's pit bulls, okay? You know anything about the pit bull doll, right? Um, sometimes when you hear about a pit bull, you're like, <gasps> okay, well, yeah, okay. You've probably seen them very aggressive on YouTube, but you know something? Young people, you'll like this. Um, kids, pit bulls are really clowny too. They like to have fun. They'll roll around. They almost look like they have a big, huge smile on their face, okay? They'll tear your face off, but they have a huge smile on your face, okay? And, and they've got this big head and this strong body. They look like middle linebackers, okay? And, and they're powerful, but they're, they're actually, they have a very gentle spirit about them, but yes, they can be riled up. And you've seen that because they're extremely, extremely loyal. But yeah, they have aggressive aspects and they have the agility that they possess. But I like to use that pit bull as a comparison to some of God's people who are just a little aggressive, um, bold, 
Uh, you might be married to one and you're like, uh, sweetheart, you just need to calm down if you're heading into school to talk about the kids, okay? Or, or sweetheart, before you go, uh, before you hit send, could we just talk for a minute? You might be married to one. See, God gives out these pit bulls. I really think he uses them. And I don't get to speak on these guys too much. We often talk about a lot of different characteristics, but there's just some of you, you built a little bit different, all right? You're aggressive in your approach. You're just an aggressive person by nature. There's a lot of people have tried to hold you back your whole life, you know? You might have a nickname in athletics when you were a kid, bulldog or something like that. You're just aggressive. Advocates aggressively impose their will on the situation. They just keep coming. It's the way William Wilberforce is. It was the way many believers are. They're relentless in their pursuits. They just don't take no for an answer. I'm sorry, we're not gonna be able to do that. Okay, well, we're gonna find another person to talk to. They're bold in their confrontation. Advocates are willing to speak truth even if it means making some enemies. They're gonna say what needs to be said. They're informed in their positions. They're studied, they're prepped, they're ready for debate, okay? They, they are not people who go, oh, I didn't realize that. They, they, do you understand it actually says this? They're loyal in their defense. Boy, if you have somebody advocating for you, if you're married to one or know of one, if your mom's one or if your brother or dad, it is good to actually have them in your life. Sometimes they do what um, we don't wanna say, but like kind of the dirty work for us. I remember one time specifically, I went on a youth retreat and I had bought, oh, I'm, I'm betting like 80, 85 ski tickets for our teens, okay? And a, a storm had hit the area where they weren't gonna be able to open, okay? You would think a storm would be good, but it, it, it actually didn't help and they weren't gonna be able to open. Well. I was really upset because there's a lot of money. And, and, I, and I called and I said, listen, I mean, I got a group of teenagers. We were planning on coming. I said, I'm sorry, you know, it's non-refundable. I'm sorry we didn't see this coming and all this stuff. It's, like, it's thousands of dollars. And I just came back to my youth leaders. like, we're not gonna be able to go Saturday. I, I called and we can't get our money back. We're just gonna be praying for this. And one of the ladies said, Pastor Chris, um, what did they say? I said, well, they wouldn't get it. She goes, she said this real nice. Could I have the number? I said, what? She goes, could I call them for you? I said, what are you gonna do? She goes, don't worry about it. I said, all right. I said, here's the number. I said, you're calling in Jesus' name? She goes, don't worry about it. I kind of knew something about her personality. She came back that afternoon. I had just finished up preaching to the teens. We obviously didn't go to the ski resort, but she came up. She goes, great news. We got all the money back, and they're looking forward to us coming next year with a full refund. And I said, what did you do? She said, don't worry about it. I'm like, oh no. I said, can I still walk in there? And they go, she said, oh sure. You can go wherever you want in there. I'm like, wow, we need those. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I remember a specific time with my wife. I had gone seeing a doctor and my doctor said, I want you to go somewhere else and get an appointment. This was, this was a while back and, and, she's, and, she's, and I called and I said to my wife, oh, they can't get me in. They can't get me in for another 30 days. And my wife said, give me the number, please. And she called me back after lunch. She said, I need you to be ready. Four o'clock, we have our appointment. I said, Becca, what'd you do? She goes, don't worry about it. We know we got some bulldogs. I got a friend who is a lawyer. He goes, Chris, you got a job to do? I got a job to do. Everybody, we know we have these in our midst. We love them. I see some of you going, I'm married to one right here, Chris. This one drives me nuts, embarrasses me everywhere I go. They're aggressive, they're relentless, they're bold, they're informed, they're loyal, and they're great 
but they do need some words of caution. And we'll finish our sermon today giving some words of caution for our pit bulls. But I think it's neat to be inspired by that kind of personality. And so that's gonna be the personality we focus on today. That was one of the apostles, okay? Because they're completely unleashed. And God is doing a great work in the early church. And that's where we'll pick up in Acts today. A bunch of unleashed, influential people that God is using to grow the early church. And when that happens, it's been often said, I think Martin Luther is the quote, when God builds a church, the devil builds a chapel next door. And so you're gonna see opposition crank up for the apostles today in chapter five like we haven't seen before. And I pray it really encourages you and might encourage our pit bulls out there. We appreciate you, but let's also remember some things as we go through this. I think today will be inspiring. Heavenly Father, use today for our pioneers out there who get the job done. Sometimes they go into conversations and they're not really there to make friends. Sometimes they, they know the rules and they know how it works and they understand when somebody is not being advocated properly for. There's many loved ones in our lives that have stood in the gap for us and stood up for us when we needed someone to stand up for us. And we thank you, Lord, for them. We thank you, Lord, for that personality that you created. Lord, thank you, Lord, that we see this in the apostles and in a world that likes to quit and a world that's often lazy and a world that's always looking for an excuses to stop doing things. May more pit bulls be raised up that stand in the gap and advocate for those who need an advocate. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, they're unleashed. I'm gonna call this one this series, the rise of the apostles, okay? It says this in scripture. Now, this is what was going on. Many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people. I mean, these apostles are healing people. These apostles can do things they've never seen before and they're just following them and coming after them. I mean, these apostles are so amazing. All right, that then when someone's lying to them, they say, you're lying to the Holy Spirit and the person falls over dead. I mean, what's going on? And this is happening and words getting out by the hand of the apostles and they were all gathered together. Remember this, remember this, if you've been in our series, at Solomon's Portico. Really seems to be the place where they're teaching under the colonnade, right there out the temple court. We'll visit it there again. But the apostles just keep coming and they're not hiding. They're out there in the courts. Now, because of opposition, remember in the past weeks, they were getting threats. Stop speaking in Jesus' name happened that many started to not join them. Hey, look, if it's gonna mean that, I don't know if we're gonna be going along. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now, let me show you something about Luke and style. In the past, Luke would tell us how many people were coming. Remember, 3,000 were added that day. 5,000 of the men came to know Christ. There are so many people joining Luke stopped numbering them and he just says, it's multitudes now. This thing is growing and growing and growing. Even people were carrying sick people to them into the streets and lay on the cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Now, of all the apostles, we know Peter is the speaker, okay? He's the lead singer of the band, if you will, right? 
Everybody knows it's the voice of the lead singer that matters. The band can interchange all the time. It's that lead singer, everybody knows. He's kind of that lead singer, and so he's getting much of the prominence of this as their ministry is just growing and growing, that people see him, and they're just flocking to him. I was in New York City one time. Don't plan on visiting anytime soon. But I heard this crowd gathering, okay, near Times Square. And you could hear people talking about what was going on. I said, like, what's going on over there? And they said, oh, oh, Tom Cruise is about to come out of a building. And I'm kind of like, oh, I'd be interested to see what Tom Cruise looks like. Kind of disappointing. He wasn't that tall a guy. But, but he came out, and people just running after Tom Cruise. They were hustling to his car and all that stuff. This is what it was like for Peter. Peter's walking the streets and people are just flocking to him. He was famous. He was, there's Peter, there's Peter. And they were so excited because he might heal somebody. So they were bringing their sick. They had him on cots, on their shoulders, if you will, dragging him. We got to get out. Maybe we'll get near Peter. Maybe even his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from around the towns of around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits and they were healed. I mean, Word is out of Jerusalem now. People are coming from outside Jerusalem. Fame, explosion, people everywhere. Peter has gone from being a Galilean fisherman, just hoping to pay for his wife at home, to a speaker of the greatest, fastest spreading movement of the early church. And he has now become, much like William Wilberforce, but times a hundred, a man of influence. Now, being a person of influence is something that many people look and want until they actually get it. You see, there are pressures with being a person of influence that many people could never dream of unless they've actually had some experience with it. There's challenges to being a person of influence. All of a sudden now your opinion is sought out more. And so you're asked to do more things and share more things and say more things. Your words carry more weight. People can share their opinions, but when you share your opinion, people go, we're going with that opinion. When you're a person of influence, your failures get pointed out more. People look to pick you off and knock you down and point out areas where you have flaws. When you're a person of influence, your abilities get criticized. When you're a person of influence, your character gets challenged because sometimes success is very difficult to navigate. Sometimes it's easier to fail. People support you more in failure than they do in success, hoping to just knock you off of a perch. People of influence can really struggle. And there's a lot of neat young people that went into ministry, became influential, and got shot into seclusion, if you will, by the attacks of others. There's a challenge there. There's a growing sentiment against it. And one of the greatest forms uh, and, and one of the greatest things that's building up inside of people, really, honestly, once a spotlight hits somebody, is jealousy. They want that influence. And Peter is in this position where people are just running to him like he's a celebrity. And here comes the opposition. Scripture says, but the high priest rose up 
and all who are with him. That is the party of the Sadducees. These are the guys, oh, they dressed, they were something special. And they let around, walk around letting everybody know how they are not as good as them. He is filled with jealousy and they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Now, for some of you who love studying genre, just real quick, I'll give you a little nugget here that I think you'll appreciate. Luke is certain to point out specific things that only the careful eye will notice. Luke wanted you to understand that the Holy Spirit filled the believers. Then he was quick to remind you that Satan filled Ananias and Sapphira. And now Luke, don't miss it, is telling you the high priest is filled with something else, jealousy. He's building Luke is always building. He introduces characters that he's gonna talk about later. He's an incredible writer and he's building this. Now we have Sadducees filled with jealousy. Everything's coming at the gospel and they throw the apostles, possibly more than Peter and John, into jail. Now who is the high priest? Well, he is a leader. He is the leader of the Sanhedrin, that's 71, the Supreme Court, if you will, of the Jewish authorities. And now he is coming after the apostles. They're thrown into prison. And this is what happens next. Scripture says, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. First of all, I love that phrase. Speak the words of this life. This life that is Jesus but what is amazing here is nothing can stop God. I mean, these guys speak, they're thrown into prison and he sends an angel or a messenger, unchanges them, lets them out and they don't have to wonder, I wonder what God's will is for me right now. It is to go and speak in the temple, not go down the street, don't go hide, go speak in the temple and tell the people the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Exactly what they were told not to do. Now, when the high priest came, while they're out teaching, something's else going on in another room inside the temple. The high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to prison to have them brought. He's got the senate together. The high priest is gathered. They're meeting in this political form and they're saying, let's go get those guys in prison. Meanwhile, they're outside teaching. While they're forming their plans, God has already been using them and they're outside teaching. Look what happens. But when the officers came to the prison, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked, the guards standing at the door, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Where are they? They probably ran. They probably took off, right? I mean, where could they possibly be? Well, now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. What's going on? And they began to wonder about them, wondering what this would come to. Now, wait a minute, what? You're not worried where they are. They're worried how this will affect their reputation. These political leaders were far more concerned with their reputation and imposing their narrative onto the people than they were about the actual facts of what was going on. I mean, that never happens today. What's going on here? 
what's happening. And someone came and said, we can't find these guys. And then somebody goes, look, look, the men who you put in prison, they're standing in the temple and teaching the people. Now, let me take you to the temple real quick. Let's get a visual on it. If you're listening on podcasts, you're gonna have to go there mentally. But let's throw up the courtyard, okay? Now, we've kind of given you and gotten you a little bit used to this area, okay? But we have the temple, okay? Here's Jerusalem. There's the city out in the thing. But we have Solomon's portico. This is where the guys are always preaching. Right along this front gate was Solomon's portico. It's lined with colonnade, just like you see along the rest of the temple, Okay? You have the Chamber of Hewn Stone. That's where the political parties met, okay? That's where the Sanhedrin are gathered, the 71. They're sitting in there. They're meeting. They're talking about what they're gonna do with these guys who were over at the Antonia Fortress. I believe that's probably where they were. Um, I could stand corrected on that, but that's what it seems to be. This fortress here or at the prison. So they're talking about what to do with the guys who are at the prison who are actually over here at the portico teaching while they're talking. And so these guys are going over to get them and they look across the portico and they go, they're over there teaching. Bold faced, just talking. Then the captain, the officers went and brought them, but not by force. Hey, Peter, John, can we talk to you over here? If they do it by force, the people are gonna freak out because Peter is a superstar for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. They bring them up, they set them down before the council. So now, now we know they're over at the chamber of hewn stone. We showed you where that was. Now they're sitting amongst the, the Sanhedrin. They're all lined up. I'm sure the courtroom's packed and they've got the accused standing right in the middle of the courtroom, if you will. And they're before the council and the high priest sitting on his throne, if you will, says, we strictly charged you not to teach in his name. You guys can't hear? We told you not to teach in his name. I like this, in this name. He won't even speak the name of Jesus. They had taken God completely out of this. They deny that Jesus is the Messiah and they believe that this Messiah is an affront to what they believe in the law. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Remember we talked about this earlier. Yes, Peter was one who said, obey your governing authorities. But there's one thing Peter has to do. He has to testify to the truth. I can't lie about this. I have an authority that exceeds your authority and I have to speak the truth if you tell me to suppress it. I can't. I gotta get the truth out. I've gotta listen to God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed and hung on a tree. Whoa, Peter. He's a pit bull. He's aggressive. He wasn't worried if the Sanhedrin didn't like that. You killed him and put him on a tree. You hear the emotion in Peter? He could have just said, whom you crucified. No, he said, you put him on a tree. It's a euphemism for saying how awful a death you put him through. He said, God exalted him and he is at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He is preaching in what they would hear as blasphemy. And he said, listen, we're not just messengers, okay? We're not just messengers, we are witnesses to this. Witnesses, we've seen this. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged. 
They were enraged and wanted not to threaten them, folks. Kill them. I wonder what the room is like. You've got these Sanhedrin gathered around. You've got these Pharisees all of a sudden. Kill them. Kill them. You hear what they're saying? They're saying that this, this name, this name, this, this, the way is superior to the law and now they submit to him over any law. Kill this man. And is, I, I believe the tension in this room was so high, they probably would have killed them then. But, but an advocate, someone called to defend, to stand in the place, steps up in the room. And his name is Gamaliel, the Pharisee. You know someone, just incredible wisdom, super respect, and whenever they talk, everybody wants to listen. That was this guy. He has shown years of wisdom, maturity, and, and men of great wisdom are never out of control emotionally, you'll find. They don't fly off the handle and flip out. They have great, great emotional control and people respect them for that because they're not scared of them. They understand the power of being under control and watch the calmness he brings over this courtroom as well as the wisdom. Kill him, kill him, what's, I mean, I'll kill him right You wonder if people are getting held back and then up stands Gamaliel, but the Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, it's a Pharisee now. This isn't one of the Jews, this is one of the apostles. A teacher of the law held in honor by all the people stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. I like this. It's almost like Gamaliel, you say, hey, 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 listen. You guys, go outside, go outside. They're gonna kill you, just go. Listen, all right, now listen, everyone. He said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. Wisdom is speaking. Gamaliel is so nursed in the law. He is so renowned. He has the greatest teachings and young men, the most elite young men signed up under his teaching. He had Amazing students. In fact, one of his most infamous or famous students was none other than Saul of Tarsus. Gamaliel was his teacher. Saul of Tarsus was a brilliant mind unlike many of his peers. Luke is introducing people. And Gamaliel says, whoa, slow down here. And he brings up two incidences. They say the best predictor of future behavior his past behavior. You wanna find out what someone's gonna do or how things are gonna go? Look at how it went in the past. And he brings up two scenarios. He says, hey, before these days, Thudius rose up. Remember him? Oh, I remember Thudius. You can just imagine the tension still in the room. He was claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. That's right, they came to nothing. Let's kill these guys. Whoa, 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 whoa. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he drew some of the people after him. I wonder if he says, you remember that, guys? <clears throat> yeah, that Judas, he's nothing. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. And then he drops some heavy wisdom. He says this, so in the present case, I'm gonna tell you guys this. Keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of a man, it's gonna fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. 
Gamaliel has a sovereignty concept of God saying he's in control. And if this is of a man, it's not gonna end well. If this is of God, you'll never stop it. I wanna just take a quick moment for some counsel. I've used this in my own family, with my children, with interns here at church, with guys. It's just counsel that comes from scripture. I call it Gamaliel counsel, okay? So this is sage counsel. He wasn't even necessarily a believer, we all know. We don't know, maybe he was a Pharisee who turned to Christ, but Gamaliel counsel is this. If it is of God, nothing can stop it. Here's why this is such great counsel. I've talked to people that have gone through adoption process and they're like, you know, I just don't know if this is gonna go through. We've done all the work, we've got all the papers, I just don't know what's gonna, whoa, 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 let me give you some Gamaliel of the counsel. If this is of God, nothing's gonna stop it. Takes pressure off, doesn't it? I just, okay, I tried out, Dad. I, I hope they take me for the team. I, I want this coach to like me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you do everything you could do? Yeah. All right. Well, if God wants you on the team, you're gonna be on the team. If he doesn't, you won't be, and we'll do a different thing. It's an ultimate pressure release. If God wants this to happen, nothing's gonna stop it. Relax. We put the order in for the house. We put this in. Okay, I can't even sleep. I can't, look, have you done all your work? Yeah. Have you prayed this over? Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we. Did you ask the Lord to guide you? Yeah, yeah, we just, we can't even think. Listen, if you're supposed to get the house, you'll get the house. Oh, that's true. You always say, oh, that's true. Yeah, apply that theology to your life. If it's of God, it's gonna happen. If it's not, he has a different course. Trust it. But I want my way. I know. And that's the response to Gamaliel counsel. You have to be willing to submit the plan to say, Lord, if it's not your will, I'm willing to do whatever you ask otherwise. Gamaliel counsel is powerful counsel. Take heed to it. So they took his advice, smart move, guys. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And they left the presence of the council. So they come in, they go, fine, we're not gonna kill them. Let's beat them. Anybody get punched for sharing Jesus Christ in your entire life? I'm a preacher. I don't remember getting punched. I got shoved one time, but I've never been punched. Imagine speaking the words of God and being beaten for it. I say to the interns, when we get interns here at church, I go, look, everybody's got one sermon. Everybody can get up and go, I believe in this and preach for 40 minutes on some subject. Show me four in a row, okay? Then, then I'm interested, okay? Let me see if your character can hold up under pressure. Let me see those different things. That shows me something. I look for it. I've had mentors feed into me that kind of thing. But it, you go from a different level of speaking when you go from speaking where people are going, okay, let's see how you do. Remember young people when you're sitting in class in public speaking and they're going around the class and it's almost your turn, your heart's going like that. And you're like, oh, please talk too long so the teacher says we're done for the day and I can go tomorrow. I mean, I mean, that happens, with, okay, but when you're younger and you speak, people say, hey, we're all gonna smile for you, we're gonna clap, it's gonna be great, you're gonna be like, oh, you're doing such a good job, okay? Here's the next level. I want you to speak something that you know many in the audience don't wanna hear. That separates a lot of speaking. When you know you have to say something that may not be that well-received, you're behind the curtain back there a little bit longer, praying longer, your heart's going, the devil's saying, don't say it. You're fighting battles you can't even imagine. And so for me, to hear these apostles being beaten, I have never walked out of a sermon with a bloody nose yet. But, but 
I can't imagine. These guys are stumbling out of the courtroom. They were in the courtroom getting accused. They said, we gotta preach Jesus. And now they're fighting their way out of the room. I wonder if John's legs hurts. I wonder if Peter's holding his shoulder. They're stumbling out of the room. They're gonna quit, right? I mean, you should quit. This isn't, hey, it's not worth it, right? How will they respond? Look what scripture says. They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It's like James, you know James was probably like, yo, you see that one right there? Yeah, he got punched me in Jesus' name, baby. These guys are crazy. Guys, it's not, it's not. These guys are in it. And every day in the temple, what, you're back? Yeah, we're going back to the temple. And house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They said, we gotta testify to this truth. And they just kept going. These guys are pit bulls. Look at a pit bull. They're aggressive in their approach, relentless in their pursuits, bold in confrontation, informed in their position, and loyal in their defense. The apostles are unleashed by Jesus and I can't tell you it's nothing but the Holy Spirit working through them because these guys were fishermen. And now they're so emboldened to share the good news that Jesus is Christ. They can't be stopped. We need more pit bulls. Let me talk to the young people. You're probably in your house and you're listening to adults in your life and depending on where their faith is that day, give them some grace. But depending where you're gonna hear things like, I don't know what's going on with the world. We're all gonna die. It's all over. Okay, young people, young people. Could you please not throw in the towel and get in positions of authority? Okay, we can't have everybody go into vocational ministry. I'm limited on what I can do as a pastor. In fact, my calling is pretty specific. It's in 1 Timothy, not in an email, of what I'm called to do as a preacher. But young people, maybe God wants you to be a lawyer and help me out. Maybe God wants you to go into politics and help guys like me out. Maybe God wants you to go into uh, uh, construction today. All the houses are built with garbage. Nobody has integrity. Okay, can we get a couple Christian construction guys full of integrity that'll build homes for us that are safe? What if God's pulling you into an influence that will help you help the church? One of my mentors, spoken in my life a lot, said he got to a point in his life where he wanted to do something special. And he felt it was being called into ministry. He currently is in the Hall of Fame at the University of Illinois. He has had businesses that have been recklessly successful. But he got counsel in his young life. He said, I, I, I wanna be, I wanna do something big. And he was thinking ministry. And the guy said, no, 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 with your mind, I want you to go into this. And maybe you support a pastor someday with his vision or something like that. We need you to do that. Get in positions of influence that can actually turn the needle. Facebook feedback, great, but it don't turn the needle. Get in the room. Get in the room. And we need young people who will get in the room and start pushing back on things they see versus going, oh, this just stinks. Let's go watch Verizon. We got to get in the room. And that's not being preached enough in the church. And forgive me, I'll try to do a better job. I'm growing too. But all you pit bulls out there, can I just give a little counsel here? We said steps of faith at the end. Those of you who are a little aggressive and people left going, I think they're saved. Um, or, or you're a little relentless and you're like, geez, that lady's nuts. Okay, we wanna have a testimony. So I got some things to think about pit bulls before you go charging into the next thing. You're sitting there. Some of you were like, well, that's it. I'm gonna change the world. Before you start your parade after church, just, just hear me out. 
One, think testimony amid your aggressiveness. Think about your testimony. Think about who you represent. Ask yourself in your passion and your determination and your aggressive approach, and don't get chained by a poor reputation. That can happen so easily. As an organizational leader, your approach and how you talk to an organization, I can tell you will get you written off or not. Think through that. Think through your testimony amid your aggressiveness, okay? Second, bulldogs out there, people get stuff done. Include God in your agenda. You say, what? So many bulldogs are so competent, they're so intelligent, they're so passionate, they forget to pray. And they do things in their own strength. You wanna know why? Because they're pretty strong. They've got connections, they know people, they can get stuff done. They don't need God, if you will. And I put that in quotes if you're listening. We need God. A great line that has helped me, because I'm not a big guy on, just sit back and hope things happen. That's not how it works. Young people, you're not gonna sit on your couch just hoping a job happens. Go to the ant you sluggard and consider its ways. But this is a quote that's helped me. Chris, work like it depends on you. Pray like it depends on God. I have talked to so many business leaders who have agendas and they're like, Chris, we're gonna do this, this, this. I just wanted to maybe get your prayer support. I said, listen, don't forget prayer. Don't ever forget prayer. That is what actually moves the mountains. Do not get chained to pit bulls out there by self-reliance. You'll end up burned out, laying on the couch going, I tried, but I failed. Third, count the cost before each fight. Sometimes pit bulls don't know that whether this is a hill to die on or not. And they have people, God often sends you pit bulls, really great husbands or wives or friends that go, hey man, this isn't the one. No, I'm not gonna let this happen. And this is not the one. Oh yes, it is the one. It's really not the one. Come on, come on, let's go. Trust that, trust that. Every fight isn't worth fighting. My dad will sometimes say, hey, Chris, don't, don't stop at every chirp. Don't stop at everyone. Keep walking. There's a lot of people who need you to just keep walking behind some of that noise. And my dad helps me with that. Just, get, just keep going. That's not worth stopping. Count the cost to each battle or you'll get distracted from the ultimate fight. Fourth, stay respectful. Stay respectful despite your confidence and your informed subject matter. Because here's why. If you don't stay respectful, pit bulls, here's what happens. You're coming. You're coming in hot. Well, this way it's coming. Okay, okay. If you don't stay respectful, all you become, Apostle Paul tells you this, and he was a pit bull, so listen to him. This is what you become to everyone else. Gong, gong, gong. That's all you are. You're just a noisy gong if you're not respectful. When someone comes aggressively, passionately, informed, but remains respectful, you almost have to listen. If they fly off the handle, you can just erase them. Eh, they're out of control. Stay respectful despite your confidence. Do not get chained by arrogance. Finally, keep perspective. Don't get so chained to the pursuit you miss the process. Here's what I mean by that. Pitbull type personalities are so driven to accomplish goals, they forget the people along the way. How many guys have started up their business through their kids growing up and they got their business in their mid-30s and they look back and they don't have much influence on their children? 
because they made the pursuit everything and forgot the process along the way. Pitbulls, you got tons of drive. You're gonna knock everybody over who's in your way. But remember, the process is just as important. And I just counsel that because a lot of times that personality is pushed aside, but I appreciate that personality. We need more of it. I've had guys, even on the security team, going, Chris, if anything starts up, man, you know I got you. I'm not a pastor. Dude, it's okay, man. Calm down. Think testimony. Include God. Count the cost. Stay respectful. Get perspective. But man, we need advocates out there. And each one of you needs an advocate. Here's one of the coolest reasons to come to know Jesus Christ as your savior. Before you know Christ, you're defined by what you do. If you've stolen something, you're a thief. If you've lied, you're a liar. You're defined. But when you come to know Jesus Christ as your savior, you get redefined. Scripture actually calls it being in Christ. You're given, you're accredited righteousness. There's a transaction that occurs, if you will. And God the Father treats you as if you live the life of Jesus Christ because of that transaction. And Jesus becomes for you something really cool, an advocate. He's your advocate. In fact, scripture says this. My little children, I'm writing these things. This is John, our apostle, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, anybody ever sin in this room? Don't raise your hand. Anybody at home? Don't raise your hand. If anyone sins, children of God, I'm only speaking to saved people right now. If you've known Jesus Christ, your savior, you have an advocate, someone who stands up for you with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let me help you. It's kind of like we got called into that courtroom and we're sitting in front of the Sanhedrin. You know what Chris has done? You want to know what he did? You want to know what he said when he was 18? Hey, you want to know what that, you want to know the kind of father he actually is? You want to know that? You're standing like this. He should be punished. He should be punished for that. He sins. He should be punished. He should be punished. And you're like, it should be punished. I did do that. How does he know that? Oh my word, put the PowerPoint down. I mean, how do they know all this? And like, shame on you, shame on you. And guilt, guilt, condemnation comes into that courtroom and the Sanhedrin's standing around you and they wanna kill you. They say he should be paying for this. He should die for this. The judgment of sin is death. The law says it, you should die. Chris should die. And they're yelling, I'm like, I should die. I have sinned and I have fallen short of that law. I can't measure up. And you just feel the bullies and the voices and the anger and the hatred and it's all around you. And we live in a society right now that is just guilting each other to death. And we all feel this tenseness and, and the courtroom's coming down on us. And then like Gamaliel, you hear, excuse me, can I talk for a minute for Chris? Huh? 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 And Jesus stands up in the room and everyone's silent because there's nobody more influential in the room than him. He goes, excuse me, I want to speak. Before you speak, Jesus, he, he needs to die. He needs to die for his, his sin. He has failed the law. Can I speak for him for a second? <laughs> speak for me, Lord. Please, Jesus, speak. When he was six years old, he called on my name. And he became my child. 
So now none of you ever can define him. I define him. He's my boy. And I'm here to tell you, God the Father, that after putting his trust in me, he now stands before you clean as if he lived my life. And so you can shut all your voices up of condemnation. You can be all quiet because Chris is mine and he's declared righteous in this courtroom. And I stand there and I look at my advocate and I say, thank you, Jesus, for being my advocate. Who needs an advocate? But then there's that child of God out there who struggles with secret sins. They struggle with failure. They struggle and they beat themselves up and they punch on themselves. And she gets drunk into the courtroom and she stands there and she goes, I know I'm a child of God, but I just feel so much shame. And Jesus goes, hey, God, the father, hold on a second. Hey, yeah, you're my girl. Have you sinned? Yeah, confess your sin. Okay, I confess my sin. I, I did sin. Well, then I am faithful and just to forgive her her sin and to cleanse her from all unrighteousness. She is declared righteous. You can shut your mouth, Sanhedrin. Hey, devil, shut your mouth. That's my kid. She's declared righteous, God the Father. Amen, he says. She is, he, she's yours. And when you understand the theology behind your advocate, it changes your prayer life. It changes your future. It gives you an ability to walk out of this room, not with shame, but with victory, saying, I have an advocate who stands up for me when I hear all those voices of shame. You're a terrible father. You're a horrible mother. You're a misfit teenager. You're a dumb kid. We label our children at five in our generation, and it makes me sick. Nobody defines those kids except Jesus Christ. And you know what you're doing to them? Young people, I want to challenge you today, older folks too, if you've got any kind of influence, use it to be an advocate. We need more bulldogs. Hey, just keep your testimony. Keep your testimony. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone in this house today who knows what it's like to stand before the Sanhedrin, who constantly feels beaten up by their past, could they picture Jesus standing up and going, don't talk about my kid like that? Could you just flood them with that emotion? That you did the work. You stood before the judge and you said, I shed blood so that they don't have to pay for their sin. I did it. The law says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And Jesus says, and that's why I stretched out my hands and died on a cross so that nobody can define my kids except me. And I declare them righteous. Children of God, go and sin no more. Lord, if there's anybody watching today or sitting here in the house and they got just condemnation in their life and Sanhedrin are all about them, would you just intervene and say, do you wanna be my child? I wanna be your advocate. Scripture says it so clearly, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You'll be justified. You'll be declared righteous. And the court can no longer condemn. I pray even today, someone accepts the Lord as their personal savior and understands what it feels like to be an advocate, but for every child of God out there, I pray 
that they would use their life, use their platform, use their connections, use their wealth, use their property, whatever they got. May they look at their place and say, God, how do you want me to leverage my influence? Thank you, Jesus, for leveraging your influence to declare me righteous in the court of law. By your grace, I stand justified. Thank you, Lord, for this message. Thank you, Lord, for our pit bulls. Help them to walk in testimony of you. In Jesus' name, amen.